Well, welcome to episode number 11 of the Dads on Tap podcast. My name is Scott Mogsley, and I'm your host for our podcast and the founder of Dads on Tap, a nonprofit I started to help craft better dads. If you want to learn more about who we are, you can check us out, learn about our work and our mission at dadsontap.com. Well, I have been really looking forward to today because we're going to have a great conversation about raising healthy kids with my good friend, Jordan Rubin. Jordan is the founder of several health food companies, including Garden of Life and Ancient Nutrition. He's also the author of several books, including the bestseller, The Maker's Diet. And there's so many things we could list about Jordan and the work that he's done and his journey. So we're going to make sure, Jordan, that we add your bio to the show notes so our listeners can take a look at that. But, you know, Jordan, you're well known, you're respected in the health world. But more importantly than that for today, you're truly a good friend. You grew up with my wife. So you guys have known each other since you were young. And now, bro, we've been friends for over two decades. We are getting old. <laughs> I'm feeling good, though, man. <laughs> good, good. Well, you're younger than me, so you've got a few years to catch up. <laughs> that gives me lots of hope. It's an honor to have you today as our guest on Dads on Tap Podcast, Jordan. So thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Well, listen, man, you have had a lot of great business and community accomplishments, but for me, those things are great, but they don't define who you are. Man, what defines who you are for me is your heart for God and your passion and servant's heart to help others live a healthier life in so many respects. So, man, I'm excited to get into some conversation today about raising healthy kids. And, you know, we live in a world right now that's experiencing a lot of challenges when we think about being dads and just trying to navigate the world of health when it comes to body, mind, soul, spirit. So, We'll get there. But before we do, I always love to begin by asking our guests about their dads, because so much of who we are as dads and as men are shaped by our fathers, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. And so, you know, we're all a combination of both. So just take a moment, tell us a little bit about your relationship with your dad and maybe one of the most important things you learned from him. Yeah, I think, Scott, sadly, my relationship with my dad in terms of our history together has seen more challenging times than positive. And I know this is probably a semi-common theme. I think, Scott, in the generation before us, I'm ascertaining from my friends that are our age as well, that there was a real challenge for many dads to connect and show love to their sons. And in my case, I will give a little background on my dad. I feel like he had a very challenging childhood. There was some abuse that's been clearly communicated to me. And I think there's more that probably I can read between the lines. And so there's a wounded situation that comes into a fatherhood at a young age. I think my dad was 23 when I was born. And we really didn't seem to be cut from the same cloth in certain ways. Now, I want to jump in and say that in many instances, in terms of my life passion, And where I gravitated as what you would call a vocation, I am following in my father's footsteps. And in addition, I think the one, a couple of things that I received from my father, this is, I'm going to say more genetic than it is nurture, is the great sympathy and in some cases, empathy for those who are suffering from health challenges or disease or those who are caring for someone that did. And I have seen my dad go into super dad mode when someone he loves has a health challenge. However, just as importantly, my dad struggled to connect with me in the areas that I cared about as a child 
and as a teenager, and that's really important. It, it's the proverbial empty seat at the game, Scott. I mean, I think that has been shared before, and that's really one uh, big challenge that I had is I didn't feel like my dad cared about what I cared about as I was growing up. However, the greatest thing that my dad and then my mom, but but my dad taught me was that despite being Jewish, which would have led them down a different spiritual path, my parents were acquainted with Jesus, received him as their Lord and Savior when I was two years old in your neck of the woods in Georgia. And this was absolutely a decision that my father and mother made simultaneously. So I have to say that I was introduced to a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus as a person who's 100% Jewish, which is not common. And I also was, it was instilled in me the importance of health and helping others with their health. But there are many things that I have learned from my dad's lapses and, yeah, I'll call it deficiencies. And one of them is I am the opposite of an empty seat. I say it this way, Scott, a lot of us have had our schedules change during the 2020 and 2021 years. Prior to that, and you know this well, I had years where I traveled 150, 200 days a year, ministering in churches, speaking, doing television when there used to be television and all those good things. And they are good things. I used to say, I didn't want to miss a game. I didn't want to miss a recital. I didn't want to miss a play. But 2020 and 2021 made me realize I don't want to miss a practice. I don't want to miss a rehearsal. I don't want to miss a workout, right? So I've backed into this idea that I really want to be present. And I'll tell you, my kids sometimes will say, I wish you were an empty seat at the game, dad. Now, I'm not a guy who yells, Scott, but I definitely pay attention. I keep score and stats. And then I have a communication with my children. I'm very real. I don't, I'm not the guy who tells your kids you did great when the team got shut out and they, they whiffed here and there. So I am extremely involved in what my kids are passionate in. And I want to help them sometimes too much more than they want help. So I learned from my dad how important it is to be there for your children, empowering them to do what they love. I didn't learn it because he did that. I learned it because he didn't. And I'm blessed to be able to embrace the love of a heavenly father that made up for that. And my mom and my grandmother who believed I could do anything I set my mind to. And the other thing, Scott, is, and this is going to sound cliche, but telling my kids that I love them. And you and I have very large in their own way, now, you know, adult male children, our sons. And it's harder. I'm sure you feel this way with, it's probably harder to hug and kiss Silas than it is Sadie. But I try my best still with Joshua. I have to pull him down to give him a kiss on the forehead. Yeah. And I have to reach my arms partially around mine. But it's important, I think, to say I love you and not just a love you, but, you know, truly say that. And sometimes, listen, with teenagers, it takes work, right? I mean, you, you don't always feel like it at the moment. But, you know, I feel like I have been able to have a fatherhood experience by and large that I don't have regrets. And that's probably the most important thing. My dad has lots of regrets. He's not blind to how our relationship was. And I committed to not live with regrets the way that he has. Yeah, that's great, bro. And, and honestly, last night we had a local chapter that had a whole night on the power of presence and just being there and being available, you know. And so, honestly, you set up our next question. Great. Let's not want to take a moment to let you brag on your family, man. Tell us about your wife and kiddos. So, uh, Nikki and I have been married coming up on 25 years, and she is an uh, amazing woman who, this is also cliche, she makes me 
want to be a better man. And Scott, I will tell you this, it's not because she inspires me all the time. It's sometimes because if I'm not a better man, then I'm in the doghouse. You know how it goes. She's got understandably high standards. But I think the greatest thing I can say about Nikki outside of all the normal, beautiful, smart, etc., is that she is such a great discerning woman of God and has such a great compass for what God is doing in the world. They say in scripture that the men of Issachar knew the times and the seasons. And I really feel like my wife is very much in tune with that. And I tend to be a little more oblivious in some things. And so she helps me get on that straight and narrow path. We have one biological son, Joshua, who is 19. He's a freshman at UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham. He's a football player there, which has been exciting. And you and I have talked about that quite a bit, Scott. I have five adopted children. Andrew's 25. Emma is 20. Samuel is 16. Alexis is 16. And Isabella is 11. And so without taking over the entire show on our family, because it's a very interesting unit. You know, sometimes I would say to people that we have six children, each from different dads, but Nikki didn't appreciate that all that much. But when I clarify that on the adoption side, Nikki really was the catalyst to this as well. She, when was, when she was pregnant with Joshua, she was up late at night watching some kind of a documentary on a children's home in, I believe, Siberia. And she felt led to ask God, God, I never thought to ask you, should we adopt? We never thought about adopting. And he answered affirmatively, but instead of doing what I would have done, getting on every adoption list around, she patiently prayed and God ended up bringing us through lots of ups and downs, five amazing children. And one of which, Scott, which is exciting, I'm sure for you, a church that you and I both were a part of, you were on staff, we attended together and where we met, one of the one of my adopted children, my wonderful 16-year-old daughter, was born to a resident of Place of Hope, which our former home church started that ministry. And a good friend of ours was sort of the, it was and is the leader of that organization, I believe, it still is. So that's been a great story. And I will say this, look, we're trying to be real here, right? It's not all sunshine and lollipops, even though I don't eat lollipops. But uh, my two oldest children who came into our homes, our home at age 16 and, and 11 are definitely struggling. They're struggling with identity. They're struggling with embracing God's love when the people closest to them prior to us did anything but show love and have fallen into a lot of the traps, perhaps addictions of this world. And so they're both out of the home and we're constantly praying. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story, Scott, and you'll appreciate this. And so will your audience. So my oldest son, Andrew is 25, soon to be 26. And he is right now in a treatment facility. And I say this not because I'm excited about it or because I'm proud, nor because I believe I failed. I say this because it's the truth. And I talked to a good friend of mine who's an Olympic gold medalist athlete whose son is in the same boat. And I have a doctor friend whose son is in a worse boat. But I've been listening to Toby Mac lately, and he has a song called 21 Years about his son who died of a drug overdose. And I've been listening to that playlist because every time I hear 21 Years, I pray for Andrew. And I texted him yesterday and I told Andrew that I listened to this song, I think about you and I pray for you. And he hadn't heard it or the story. So he went, got back to me and said, what did Toby Mac's son overdose on? And we learned it was fentanyl, which is the drug my son has often used. And I said, Andrew, God has spared you time and time again for a reason. 
And it doesn't mean you should go do it again, but at the same time, it's this is life. I mean, I can tell you, Scott, I hope to be at my daughter's flag football state championship on December 6th. And then at the same time, I have my oldest son who is in trauma and substance rehabilitation. So this is how we've navigated life. We love our children equally, but we love them differently, if that makes sense. And different seasons and times require that. And boy, are we learning. Okay. So Jordan, this is great. I want to take just a moment there, just go one layer deeper. So there's a lot of dads out there these days, unfortunately, and many of our listeners that are dealing with kids that have substance abuse or maybe experimenting. And so one of the things I love about you is, is that you really care for people, but you also have a way of being honest without kind of tearing somebody up or, you know. So when you think about how you have been a dad, what you've learned about being a dad to a son that is dealing with these issues and it was substance abuse, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned about staying engaged, but also being careful about what you do or don't do? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think one area that I've had to battle with is, uh, I alluded to it a moment ago, is just the feeling that I failed. And part of it, Scott, you and I grew up in a similar scenario in that we made a decision to walk with the Lord at a relatively young age, and we avoided some of the pitfalls, uh, the lust of the world, some of the outward sins that our youth group friends talked about in their testimonials, right? So I was so naive to drug use, so naive to alcohol abuse, so naive to the types and signs. And so part of the biggest thing for me is not to blame myself. And then certainly my wife and I try our best not to blame each other because that's a real key. It's one thing to have a child be in a challenging set of circumstances, but if you allow it to sort of tear at your core, that really, really can cause issues. And the other thing is I do need to, and this is today, I'm not even telling you what I've learned, I'm learning. I tend to be very black and white and I either have all the hopes and dreams for Andrew in the world, or I just think no matter what he says, he's lying. No matter what he wants to do, it's not going to happen because it has never happened before. You know, we've been let down and disappointed so many times. But Scott, here's probably the number one thing that I learned. And this is in part to do with an adopted child, but I have talked to many people who have children or they themselves have been addicted to substances and they were biological and had a great family. So I think for me, it's this understanding that as long as you love somebody, as long as you give them music lessons, if they're good in music and pay for a private basketball coach, if they like sports and give them the love and the support and the food and the shelter that they didn't have before, this is in my situation, that it's going to fix everything. And the truth is, it isn't simply meeting a deficiency. It is overcoming, I would almost call it a, I would call it a demonic influence. Because again, when I was talking to my friend earlier today, this substance abuse situation, it's beyond what I can really even understand from a illness perspective, if you're unhealthy. Now, I don't, to be clear, I don't believe alcoholism and drug abuse is an illness. I don't. I know that's a line of thinking or a theory. It's not my theory. However, I deal with people that are chronically ill and there's some similarities, but there's something so different to substance abuse. But also it's important to have hope. You know, it's so easy to write a situation off when your child's been in rehab multiple times and never shown improvement and is a 10-year vicious cycle. But I think maintaining that hope legitimately is really, really important. So on one end, don't blame yourself. On the other end, have hope. And the stuff in the middle, trust God. 
Yeah, that's great, Jordan. And I think, and thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable there. I do think too, that we oftentimes when we deal with these issues, we often say at Dad's on Tap that we're here to have a beer together. We're not here to drown our sorrows, right? And so use versus abuse is really important. But I think oftentimes when we deal with our kids on a lot of different subjects, we kind of approach it as, hey, just stop doing it, right? Like we deal with the thing that they're struggling with without recognizing there's so many layers below that issue that is driving that addiction that you've got to get deep enough to deal with some of the trauma, some of the challenges, right? Like you're not just telling your son, don't do drugs. You're putting him someplace that can help him deal with those deeper level things. So Man, I really, I really appreciate you sharing. I want to keep moving here because I know we've got a few things to cover and I want to get into some practical things, but I want our audience to hear just, there's a reason why, you know, all that you've done in the health food industry and the work you've done was brought out of a season of early trauma for you and health challenges. Could you just give us a couple minutes of your story and how that's driven this passion you have for health and for helping people? Absolutely. And because Scott, I know there's more that you want to get to, I'll encourage people. If you want to just do an online search for my name, Jordan Rubin, you can put health journey, you can put before and after photos where you'll see you know, my before picture and my after picture. And if you're interested, there's a great video that I would encourage you to watch. I preached a message in 2014 called To Hell with Cancer because part of my journey was overcoming cancer. And it's a great message on these spiritual tools to overcome great adversity. And so that'll give you a little bit more insight about my heart for conquering disease, financial issues, relational issues. It's all the same type of principles. And I think you'll enjoy that, especially if you or someone you know or love is battling a quote unquote incurable illness. Jordan, real, real quick, we'll put, that, we'll put that link in the show notes so people have access to that. Awesome. Yeah. So my story is one where I grew up the son of hippie health nut parents. So my dad's a chiropractor and a naturopath. It's another thing you and I have in common. And I grew up where the principles of health were sort of crammed down my throat. It wasn't something that I owned. I We took every horse pill known to man, didn't we? <laughs> yes. I ate healthy in the house and I ate junk as soon as I got out. And anytime my friends invited me over, you know, it was just the way it was. But I grew up very, very healthy. When I was a teenager, a late teenager, in fact, when I was a counselor at a youth camp, your wife was there, of course. And I developed the early symptoms of what became Crohn's disease. And you'll see if you look online or in the show notes, I became literally over a few months deathly ill. I'm six feet tall. I went down to 104 pounds in a wheelchair. I've traveled the world to 69 health and medical experts trying to get well. Conventional medicine failed. What you'd call natural therapies failed. And I met a man about a year into my illness who told me that if I followed a health plan based on the Bible that is now proven through history and confirmed by science, I could be well. And I had enough faith during my illness to take that before picture that you're going to see in the show notes or the link to it. My mom actually took the picture, but I wanted to memorialize my weakness. So the power of Christ may dwell in me. And I'm so, so glad I had that little bit of faith because it wasn't something I wanted to do. But when I met this man, Bud Keith, who told me I could be well, I had hope. I felt like I saw the whole picture. Maybe I got sick so that I could learn a biblical way of being healthy. I knew that whatever helped me, I would use to help just one other person overcome disease or better yet, avoid it. And I moved from South Florida, where I was raised, to Southern California. I committed myself to this biblical health plan I would later call the maker's diet. And in 40 days, I was substantially better. And in another 40, I was pretty much 
back to the state of health that I was with a very much new vision to see the health of this nation and world transformed one life at a time. And since you and I met, Scott, 20 some years ago, I've been sharing that same message of health and hope, whether it's through various health and wellness platforms, books, ministry organizations, etc. I have expanded my mission now to heal the planet, feed the world and transform health or better yet eradicate disease. So I'm very, very passionate about stewarding God's creation, which is our environment. And I do it in a way that I think crosses political lines, which I believe can impact everybody in a positive way. And so I'm healthy, whole, and every day I have an opportunity to share the great testimony of God's healing in my life. And I know there's many translations of scripture, Scott, but I love the verse in Revelation, at least in the translation I quote, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb, God's sacrifice, and the power of our testimony or the word of our testimony. And so I believe a testimony is important. Thank you for having me share it. Sometimes I think, you know, we need to just move on. And this is sort of a 28-year-old, 29-year-old deal, but it's really important. And here's something cool, Scott. Obviously, I do a fair amount of media, but I don't often get to say this, but Natalie, your wife, actually visited me in the hospital. It's one thing to see the picture. I was living in the body, but I guess Natalie would be a good person to share what I looked like and what she felt like as a good friend of mine, seeing somebody go from extremely healthy, I would say charismatic, some would say obnoxious, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. But so, you know, that I submit how difficult that was to my family and even my friends. But I hope also that Natalie and her family had a chance to see God work a miracle in my life and that that's something they carry. And Natalie's brother, your brother-in-law, John, was in my wedding and has been a travel companion and a great friend. So I just love kind of what God has done. When you started with us in the very early days, my message was just as powerful about God's grace, mercy, and his power, but the platform was a lot smaller. So it's been exciting to get the message out over the years. Well, and the decades helped to shape us into uh, more mature and better men. I, it's funny, man. I, I often tell, I can't believe it's been 20, almost 23 years ago, but I, I often tell about the early days of us mixing products in five gallon pails in your living room and shipping out of the garage. <laughs> yes. And among many other things. So yeah, the former Garden of Life customers probably don't want to hear that, but hey, all good companies start in a garage. We only use it internally, right, Jordan? We never ship that. <laughs> exactly. Bro, I love it, man. And of course, we'll put more show links there. People want to learn more about the different health food companies and all of that. But let's get on to a couple practical questions. And I want to start with a couple broad questions for you. We live in a very complex world. There's a lot of challenges. Sometimes as a dad, it's very confusing as to who do I listen to and what voices are out there and who's right and who's wrong, right? And there's just... There's so many things. I want to just ask you, first, what most concerns you in these days about the health of our children? You get to see a lot. You get to hear a lot. When you think about one big thing that you go, man, this is one thing that really concerns me about our children today. What would one of those be? Scott, I'm tempted to name various health conditions that I think have increased tenfold, if not more over the last decade or two. But I think I'm going to say this, that there's a general lack of a dietary plan or strategy within these children's lives. And I know that's easy to rebut, right? Well, I don't want to go on a diet. I just want to eat whatever I can eat. And the truth is every person 
especially in America, is on their own diet, whether they structure it or not, that has approximately 11 to 14 foods that they eat over and over again in different combinations. And so when someone says to me, I don't want to go on a diet, I say, you're already on a diet. Yours just stinks. But I think really that's it. Scott, there's no connection that our children, the, the majority of the children in America have to a appropriate diet for whatever age they are, or even for a human being. And I know that sounds strong, but most of what we eat today, or most foods that we eat today have ingredients that were created by man, not created by God. And I'll get into some of the results, obesity, overweight, so prevalent in children. And here's something that really should hit home. We use the term type 2 diabetes, but Scott, when you and I were younger, it was called adult onset diabetes. There was only adult onset. Now we call it type 2 because it is not only happening in adults. There are so many children that are pre-diabetic, especially those that are not active, that think about it. You can be a child or a teenager in your own room with a device, and there are a thousand ways to sin and very few ways to get up and move, except the kids that say, oh, well, I'm using a Wii Sport or I'm, you know, they make up those, you know, excuses about how active they are. But I'm very, very concerned that kids today, children today, don't have guidance and a true north as it relates to health and wellness. And that's the real issue. It isn't, you know, the diseases and the symptoms are just that. They are symptoms of a cause, which is they're really, for the majority of Americans, health is by default, not design. We've talked about this, Scott, in culture, right? Culture's default or design. Health is by default, not design. That's I've never said that before. I like it. We need to use that. And the default right now is junk. It's advertising. It's what tastes good. It's what's fast, convenient, and cheap. And all of that tends to be the worst things we could eat. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense, man. And so I want to, on the other side of that, what most encourages you these days about what's happening with our children and their health? I mean, we know more than we've ever known, right? But what, when you think about the worlds that you live in and the conversations you have, what's something you say, man, I'm really encouraged by this aspect of what we have the opportunity to do maybe to help our children in their health? I'm going to answer that question two ways. Number one, when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, health food tasted dreadful, awful, and looked disgusting. And I have this whole health joke routine that I would share, the untradeable school lunch, all that. But what I'm excited about today and encouraged is that despite how easy and cheap it is to consume junk food, it is so much easier, so much cooler, and so much more common for people to shop at a health food store, visit a chiropractor. I'll give you an example, Scott. When you and my dad were practicing chiropractic, the term that a lot of people use was chiropractic. Now today, literally today, both of my kids visited a chiropractor. They both play sports. They go a minimum of once a week. So this is something that has now become commonplace to shop at a health food store or a farmer's market or a healthier section of the grocery or listen to information that's more available than ever on podcasts, on articles, etc. So if you think about it, there's more junk food advertising than ever, but there's actually more access to healthy foods. And I want to be clear, it's not just about foods. It's about hydration. It's about sleep quality. It's about exercise. So there is more subject matter expertise at our fingertips. You don't have to buy a book anymore, right? That can give young people an opportunity to be healthy. And the good news, Scott, is many are motivated by aesthetics, how they look. And if you're in sports, it's how you feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's great, man. And that's gonna, we're going to get into a little bit of conversation later on the idea of rest as well. But I want to, we have a lot of dads that are listening right now who really do care about the health of our kids, even if we're not paying attention to it as much or unsure what to do. What would be a couple of overarching things you'd say to dads that are listening about what we should be paying attention to in regards to the health of our kids? Well, first of all, I have to say this, Scott, because I've spoken not only at churches over the years, not only at businesses, not only at different meetings, but I've spoken at conferences, all women's conferences, never one men's conference. And so what I want to say to dads, first of all, is get off the bench and get in the game. And this is a tough one, Scott, because by and large, and I know I'm stereotyping, the mom does the shopping, the mom does the meal planning, the mom does the nutrition, puts band-aids on the boo-boos, takes kids to doctor's appointments, et cetera. I've said this, Scott, and you know that I've said this for so many years. If you're someone who believes in the Bible, be the high priest of the household in more than just a spiritual way. So get in the game, be proactive in the lives of your children. And then secondly, and this is going to be obvious, set an example. Another group of dads that I know, they don't take care of themselves and therefore they have no platform to share what they recommend their children do, even if they had the knowledge because they don't do it. So get in the game, get involved, but also lead by example. I learned this very early on. People would say, oh, you know, don't eat this. But then their kid's like, well, why you eat it? You know, so don't eat anything that your kids can't eat, especially not in front of them. I, I like integrity behind closed doors too, but you need to get in the game. And I've met a lot of families, Scott, where a child's diagnosed with autism or some type of serious illness. And then the whole family ends up eating healthfully because they want to create an environment that's conducive for their child who's dealing with a health challenge. But that's the biggie. I know that uh, you're looking for eat an apple a day or drink more water or eat your vegetables. But really, there's several ways to get on a healthy path. Some In terms of the constituents of a diet, I have my own preferences, which would be a whole foods diet. I don't mean the store whole foods. I mean a diet of whole or real food. And I prioritize protein because the word protein means of primary importance and that which comes first. A protein-centric diet, particularly rich in healthy animal foods, helps fuel your performance. And despite what various movies like the Blue Zones and Forks Over Knives have to say, every culture in the world who could consume animal foods did. Not everybody could, but anyone who could did. Just ask King Solomon what he had on his dinner table every night. We'll ask him in heaven. But either way, that's something. There's very specific ways I would recommend eating. I've written about that a lot. But I have to say, dads, get in the game. At minimum, if you do research on a healthy diet, you will find something that can make a huge difference in the health of your kids. If you're starting this when they're older, it's more difficult. I admit that. It's best to start out when they're young. But Proverbs 22.6 is one of my favorite verses. Train a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart. The only problem, Scott, is I don't know what old means. (laughs) I'm hoping it's not so old. (laughs) Well, Jordan, I love that. And I think the truth is for a lot of dads, frankly, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit when it comes to thinking about our diets and what we eat in our homes. And, you know, Natalie and I often joke, it's like, I kind of wish that I had a low-hanging fruit of, I just need to stop drinking sodas and I could lose 20 pounds, right? Like we don't drink soda. So we have to figure out other ways, but there's a lot of things if we as dads would just take a look at an intentional way, what are our kids eating? 
boy, there's probably some things really quickly we could cut out that could make a big difference, right? Number one, and I've shared this so many times, this dirty dozen concept, but I really think the big three, and one of this, there's some controversy because it's more of a biblical statement I'm going to make, but I don't believe pork and shellfish are ideal sources of food, if they're food at all. I think they're largely contaminated. They contain damaged fats. And I believe in a biblical way of eating. God created those things to clean up waste, not to be in your digestive system. Number two, artificial sweeteners. Now, this idea that diet soda is better than soda is not true. Now, high fructose corn syrup's bad. I would say artificial sweeteners are worse because they can be neurotoxic. They can cause toxicity in the brain, and we need to protect our children's brains above all else. Number three, hydrogenated or damaged oils. And anything that says partially hydrogenated or hydrogenated, really bad. Then you get into some of the polyunsaturated vegetable oils like the canola, safflower, sunflower. Those aren't great either. But really, if you skip the hydrogenated oils, which are found in most baked goods and packaged goods, skip the artificial sweeteners, pink, yellow, or blue packets. They're all bad. And skip the pork and shellfish. That at least, I think, can get you a starting point of reducing some of the damage that is going to really cause challenges as our children age. Yeah, that's great, bro. That's great to just start with those three things. I want to take a minute to talk about proper rest for our kids. I was listening recently to a, or I was reading a study recently that was talking about the mental health and the anxiety and the stress that our kids are experiencing these days. And a lot of what this particular study was showing is that the lack of rest for our kids is a huge component of some of the mental health issues they're facing. Can you just tell us a little bit about why rest for our kids is so important? Well, rest and sleep are two different things, technically, Scott. So rest is really important, and it's hard today because we're always connected to something. But sleep quality and timing of sleep is just as or more important than the length of time you sleep. I know that our children sleep maybe two hours less than they did years ago. And some of them, Scott, if not all of them, have a device right accessible at night. So if they do happen to wake up, they jump right on it, if not just leaving it on all night. So I think it is not popular, but it's critical for your children to go to bed early. And I say early, meaning like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. My younger ones would go to bed at 8, still my 11-year-old does. And I'm really blessed that as my kids have gotten older, they still the four that are in the house still go to bed pretty early. Now, I will say this, my two oldest who have had lots of challenges have had horrific sleep schedules, horrific sleep hygiene, particularly my oldest son literally would sleep during the day and stay up all night. Kind of a long story on that one. But the amount of time you sleep, but more importantly, when you sleep is really critical for bodily function, mental and physical. They've shown in a study that if you get four hours of sleep a night for a prolonged period, you're going to crave and consume more sugar, more junk food. And then they actually gave folks who I think slept four hours a night for three weeks, a driving test, and they're hitting the cones left and right. So there's all kinds of issues with a lack of sleep. Most people don't get as little as four nights, four hours of sleep a night, but even getting an hour or two less than you should is a problem. So sleep, you can't replicate sleep with any pill, any potion, or any intervention. Yeah, bro, I think that's so important. And what you said, we've often talked on this podcast about technology, about getting out of the bedrooms, about, you know, having some oversight of it and, you know, that blue light and the technology and just what it does. But I think too, you know, people ask me, so, you know, my son is six foot eight. People have often asked me like, 
how in the world I'm like, you know, it's because he gets like nine or 10 hours of sleep at night. <laughs> so I have no, you know, nothing to prove that. But that's one thing we have done is we have gotten our kids off of technology, tried to get the homework in early so they can get to bed at a decent time and get that great night of sleep. So there's so many things we can talk about, but let's just do a lightning round here because I want to get some of your thoughts as we get ready to close. So lightning round, first question, tell us just a little bit of thought about the impact of sugar on our kids and how much sugar kids are consuming today. How's that impacting them? Extremely deleterious for their immune system, their brain, certainly their metabolism, and they're consuming 50 to 100 times more pure sugar than our ancestors did just 100 years ago. You can look at a sugary soda. I know I said diet's bad, but if you do consume a regular soda, what is it, 12 teaspoons of sugar in there? It's absolutely brutal. I didn't mention dental health because that should be an obvious, but I believe sugar is causing a lot of the challenges in body and mind that our children are facing. Sugar in the form of whole foods like fruit, way different, but a sugar that is added, and that's why you know they're on the back of products, it says added sugars, X, Y, Z. And by the way, don't think because you go to fast food or get a coffee drink or a smoothie at a local coffee shop that just because you don't know how much sugar is in there doesn't mean you shouldn't think about it. In some cases, there's 12 to 15 teaspoons of sugar in a coffee drink or a so-called smoothie at a coffee shop. Yeah, Jordan, a lot of people don't realize you just kind of touched on it, not specifically, but the, I don't know what we call it, epidemic's too strong a word, maybe not the right word, but the, I'll use it, the epidemic of ADD, ADHD. I mean, just, you know, how are kids in these areas, how much of that's being affected by the sugar in their diets and the, you know, additives. So second, talk to us a little bit about the impact of technology on our kids' health these days. Scott, this is an area where I have not done the best job that I feel like I could have because part of it is, and you know this about me, my kids know technology 10 times more than me. And so they can pretty much outsmart me no matter what I set up with them. But I do think it has an impact. I think that the accessibility to stimulating things and even worse, things that are severely damaging our kids, it's so, so accessible. It is what I alluded to earlier. If you have a device, you could be a hermit of a teenager, sin a thousand different ways, and learn everything wrong under the sun and be inactive. So I think I use technology in a lot of great ways. I have a Bible app and I sometimes listen for over an hour a day, maybe even longer. I also learn great things, listen to podcasts, but at the same time, technology is causing a depression in people of all ages, especially social media, because of the idea that we look at other people's highlights and think that that's their lives. So self-esteem suffers. You can be much more likely to be depressed, inactive, and in school, you're getting worse grades and worse test scores because of the accessibility of mindless games, etc. And I'm on my phone a lot because that's how I do a lot of my work in communication and listen to things as well. But I do not believe for the most part technology is helpful. And I would encourage any way that you can to allow your kids to connect and have time without technology. So that relates to the next quick question I want to ask is, what are you personally doing to pay attention to the mental health of your kids? And maybe specifically your teenagers, because we know that our teenagers, especially our teenage girls these days, the mental health aspect of what they're experiencing is really challenging. Well, number one, I would say be available. Number two, I rely on my wife who just has this literal, I'll say God-given intuition where she'll wake up in the middle of the night and know something is going on. 
with one of our children. But in reality, I think availability is the key. And I struggle with this because when I'm driving my kids around, I'm there, but I'm on the phone, right? So I do miss moments when they could talk. But I think the biggest thing is if you're available and around them, you're going to pick up on some things. The saddest and most challenging thing for a parent who's a believer, who had made very good choices themselves, because I think my wife and I are in that boat as children and teenagers, we made very good decisions as in the scheme of things, we tend to not understand the signs and challenges that kids are dealing with in today's day and age, because we didn't grow up in the social media era. And I know, Scott, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but you and I don't know what it's like to do like online dating, right? Like I'm pretty sure you met your wife person to person, like it was an introduction and I met my wife at church. And so I just think about how this world has become. And I remember when one of my children was younger, they were, I'm not going to mention, there was a game they were playing and they were communicating with someone. And there was this like this wedding that happened. And I remember saying to my son, who was probably 10 at the time, like, this could have been a 60-year-old man that was posing as somebody who you quote, married in this fictitious game. And it's just, it blows my mind. But I think being available, being open, I had a really tough discussion with one of my children a few months ago, and I was so grateful. And Scott, it was an interesting conversation. I'm not going to share what it was because for various reasons, but during the conversation, I felt immensely guilty that what my child was telling me had gone on and I feel like I could have prevented it. But then, thank God, and I mean that, the way that I handled it, my son said, well, I guess it's my son. He said, dad, thank you for being cool about this. And I'm like, oh, I felt so bad. But then, you know, and then he even was consoling me like, it's not your fault. There was nothing you could have done. But I'm just glad that I was there. Because if I wasn't there, I wouldn't have had the conversation. And those type of things are really critical to catch early signs. Yeah, it's great, man. I mean, that what you just mentioned is so important for us as dads, not to overreact, over respond, but to have a measured response and a response that first and foremost is concerned for our kids, not the frustration that we might have about whatever it was that happened. So I love that, man. Another quick lightning round question. What's one dietary change you wish every dad would make in their home right now? This is, I'm the worst lightning. If lightning is like slow and, and long-winded, then I'm lightning. God, this is so tough, Scott. Again, I just want to say that the dad would be engaged in the planning of the diet. Again, because everybody's on a diet, right? So that's really it. I can't say, you know, drink more water, eat more protein, remove sugar. It really isn't that. It's that the one change that the dad can make is be involved, get in the game, get off the bench, because that will change everything. No matter what dietary approach you follow, there's bound to be something good if you are part of the solution, if not leading it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Maybe read a label and ask some questions, right? <laughs> and know what the ingredients are. <laughs> okay. So a lot of our dads may not have a lot of access or really thought about the supplement side of things. So I, I'm kind of throwing this in. It wasn't in our show notes, Jordan, but I think it'd be really helpful for our dads. If you're talking to a dad who has not done a lot with health food products, supplementation, where would you recommend a dad start as something for our kids and then something for themselves, right? Like there's so many options out there. If you had a dad that's just saying, Jordan, where would I start personally with a product? And where would I start with my kids if I'm going to give them something? Yeah, I think there are several directions I could go with that. And first of all, anyone who's interested, you can visit ancientnutrition.com. Not only do we have 
loads of information on dietary supplements, but we have loads of information on diet, recipes, etc. Let me say this. If you're, no matter what age your child is, I'm really a big believer that a supplement regimen or even one product should be addressing a need that your diet is deficient in. And it sounds obvious, but it's really not typical. People will consume whey protein and pea protein when they get plenty of dairy and plenty of peas. But I'm really a big believer in getting collagen in the diet of our children and, of course, our adults. That could be in the form of homemade bone broth like our grandparents and probably parents used to consume, or it could be a collagen supplement. When you're younger is the time to build healthy collagen levels for your bones, your skin, hair, nails, joints, ligaments, tendons, and your gut. It's also great for your wife if she wants to have longer, thicker, fuller hair. I just did an interview, Scott, yesterday with a female author who is aging, and she's been on our collagen for a few weeks called, it's multi-collagen protein, and she said that her hairdresser has noticed thicker, longer hair, and her nail stylist, if that's what you're not whatever you call the person who does your nails, said that I, while she recommended less frequently having her nail appointments because her nails were so brittle, she said there's major improvements in the health of her nails. And your kids will see that in their joints, ligaments, and tendons. Dads who are listening are probably sports fans. I could do an entire show on the incidence of injuries in professional, amateur, and high school sports. This non-contact injury phenomenon didn't even exist years ago. I'll use this one anecdote. Tommy John surgery, Scott, when you and I were born, Tommy John was playing, right? And he tore his ligament in his elbow and he had a the reconstructive surgery. They called it Tommy John. It was about one out of a hundred to one out of a thousand pitchers. I think now it's one out of two. I have a good friend whose son just had Tommy John in high school. People are having it twice. Position players now, Bryce Harper just had Tommy John surgery, I believe. That's the lead. And what about the Achilles? What about the ligaments in your knees? All of this can be averted by consuming a collagen rich diet. So it's close to the top, if not the number one supplement category I would look for. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we put in the show notes a link to ancient nutrition, maybe even one of those specific. I know you have a bone broth protein that my family uses and love. And I swear, but man, you got me started 22 years ago on probiotics. I don't know what I'd do without those daily. That's a close second, Scott. I was torn. <laughs> it's, it's all good, man. But our collagen has probiotics in it. So, you know, that's the good part. There you go. It's the complete solution. <laughs> I love it. Hey, we could talk a long time. I'm going to end on this question. We could talk a long time about this, but you and I both share a faith. Our relationship with Christ is central to who we are as a dad. I often say with dads on tap, because we got a lot of dads listening that are in different places spiritually. I often say whether you share my faith have a different faith or frankly have no faith at all is not the point of dads on tap. But you and I share a faith and I know some of the things that you do in regards to your kids in regards to spiritual life. Could you just give us a few moments of thought on how important is spiritual life to our kids' health? Scott, the easy answer is it's of utmost importance. But what I've learned, and I'm sure that you would agree, they call it a personal relationship with Jesus for a reason. It can't be inherited. It can't be forced. And in some ways, it can't be taught. I mentioned earlier, answering your first question, my dad and my mom exposed me to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to his son, Jesus, our Messiah. It was my choice to receive that free gift of salvation. And later, 
to walk in it and make Jesus my Lord, which by the way, is a moment to moment thing, right? I mean, we can say he's our Lord, but when we act according to the flesh, he isn't certainly in that circumstance. So it's of the utmost importance, again, to model it, to expose your children to the things of God. But I've learned in just watching my children and how they have operated in their relationships with God and how they express that. It's not the way that I always wish it to be or the way that their mother and I do, but I feel really good that they've been exposed to a foundation that we call the rock that is higher than I. And I can't, I say this all the time, and I'm sure you would agree, life is challenging knowing we have access to God and his spirit within us. I can't begin to imagine what it would be like without it. I don't want to know because in this world, we will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Our relationship with Jesus, he has overcome this world. It's just, I can't even explain how important it is. I will say this in a practical sense. We talk a lot about today in and outside the church, this concept of identity. And if you don't have an identity in Christ, an identity in your creator, I don't know how in this day and age you can truly figure out who you are and what you were created to be. So well said, man. And I do think for dads, if your dad listening out there that's wrestling with faith or unsure of faith, man, keep showing up, keep wrestling with it. Anything we can do to support you through Dads on Tap, that's one of the big reasons why we're here. Jordan, there's so many different things that we could keep going on. But as we close the interview, one of the things I always say about Dads on Tap is it's not enough to just kind of sit and listen and consume good content. We've got to take what we've heard and put it into practice. So we have some dads that are listening online. We have some dads maybe sitting in a brewery chapter listening to this. As we get ready to close, is there one thing that you would challenge dads to think about or maybe one question they could have some conversation about? as we think about how we can best lead our families to a healthy place. So just one thing you say, dads, just want to challenge you or encourage you with this thought. Well, what comes to my mind, Scott, is that I'm assuming the individuals you have had on your program, you're going to have in a lot of ways have modeled positive attributes as a father. I talked about my dad not being present and not loving me the way that I needed to be loved, more the way he wanted to love me or what he thought was important. And so I would want to encourage anyone listening who listens to dads that have these great family traditions and habits. We've built some amazing ones with taking communion almost every night that we're together and quoting scripture and Psalm 91 for protection and memorizing Bible verses every week. You listen to that and you think, gosh, I don't even darken the door of a church. I don't have a Bible that at least that I know where it is. I'm not a good leader of my wife or my kids. I think the number one encouragement, I would say, Scott, is it is not too late. If your kids are out of the house at 25, 30, it is not too late. You can be the dad God created you to be by starting today and and taking just one step. It is not too late. If your kids don't have great respect for you, if you don't have a great relationship with them, you may not get the reciprocation you hope for when you make a change, but get engaged, get off the bench, get in the game, start now, don't look back. Yeah, that's great, man. That's great. It's never too late to to do the right thing, man. I love it. So, Jordan, this has been fantastic. How can our listeners get connected to you online? You mentioned a few things earlier. We'll put that in the show notes. But is there a social media account or is there a particular website or something that you want to make sure they go to to check out more about the work you're doing? Well, what you can do, I mentioned, I'd love for you to learn a little more about God's amazing, miraculous healing in my life. You can just look up Jordan Rubin on a search engine. You can go to YouTube and type in my name. There's many videos. I really think that 
to hell with cancer video is great. I'm not super active right now posting on social media, but I do have things that you can find on ancient nutrition, as well as just typing in my name on YouTube or a uh, search engine, and you'll get a chance to take advantage of that. And I have several books that you can read. One thing I'll mention, Scott, I don't talk about this much at all, but I wrote a book with a great friend of mine. It's called The Joseph Blessing. It's the only book that I've written that's not a health book. And it deals with some of the topics we talked about today. It's you're called to do something great for the Lord. You encounter major, major challenges, but yet you push through and the dream God has given you can become a reality. And if your dreams to become a great dad, a great leader, great in business, great in whatever endeavors you're working towards, the Joseph blessing could very well be a blessing to you. That's great, man. And we'll make sure we put a link there so you can just uh, search in your Amazon search, Jordan Rubin. Also, Ancient Nutrition Products, man, we gotten ours at Costco and Whole Foods and Sprouts. I think there's even some. Are you guys into the Kroger's and Publix yet? We are, yes. Not all of our products, but yes. Some of them are. So make sure you go down to your local purveyor, pick up some products. Jordan, man, thank you so much for being with us today. And dads, be sure to follow us at Dads on Tap on social media at The Dads on Tap for more helpful content each day. As I always say, I'm here because I love being a dad and I love to help dads. So if I can do anything to serve you, please reach out to me at scott at dadsontap.com. If you're interested in launching a Dads on Tap chapter in your community, send me a note. would love to tell you more about that. But I'm going to end as I always do by letting you know that we need to take what we learned today and go be a better dad. Yeah.